Greetings. This is part three of my annual message, this year's annual message, and it's titled, How Are We Doing? How are we doing spiritually, emotionally, physically, mentally, in all aspects of our lives? How well are we actually doing? Now, before we begin, I do want to mention that we'll return back to the Welsh Calvinistic Methodist, um, should be next week. We're going to be looking at the lives of such people like William Williams and Lady Huntington and Hal Davies and and uh, uh, Thomas Charles and a John Elias, at least those individuals, at least those. But this week I felt it really important to do this part three of the annual message series because really the, the purpose of it is within our communities, wherever we're at, to make normal again good spiritual discussions. That's my. That's the goal of this week's message. That we'd be able to talk about heavenly things and be much more comfortable and not so guarded, and um, and actually be interested in more things of the Lord and and um, and perhaps we become very um, afraid, anxious over these things about what we share, um, as if maybe it's not necessary, maybe something of that nature. But it, there's a sense of a a facade that's going on or as if we're wearing a mask and and I'm saying yeah we 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 shouldn't be doing that. I remember an illustration a pastor once shared where there was a man meandering around at the top of one of these large skyscrapers like you know the kind you see in Chicago or New York City or London you know. And he's at the very at the very top of it and he's just taking in the landscape of the city not really paying attention of uh, what's going on or where he's at. And sure enough, he tumbles over the side of the building and begins free-falling. And as he's free-falling, he's approaching a window washer. It's in one of these platforms that's held up by a crane that moves up and down by a trolley system. And as he's free-falling, the window washer says to him, how are you doing today? How are you doing today? And the free-falling man says, as he, you know, just continues to plummet to his death and passes the, the window washer and he shouts back out at him as he passes and he says, well, so far, so good. So far, so good. And I share that illustration because it really does seem that we seem to be unaware of the danger that we're in, in many aspects. Um, it seems like things that we shouldn't be afraid of, we're afraid of. Like we're really afraid of, of man. As an example, we're, we're really afraid of, um, of uh, passing things. Like, you know, like we're concerned about our reputation or, or we're afraid of what other people think of us or our possessions. But we're not so concerned about our eternal state. Things that last for eternity seem to be unaware of the times in which we live. There's many Bible verses that share that we need to know the times and seasons in which we live so we know what God's will is and we can see the dangers around us and and how we are to proceed forward as Christian people. Yes, understanding the times in which we live. Well, what I want to do is I want to share with you this week, again, just as an example, it's not necessarily the best, I'm not expounding the scriptures, 
but I'm simply sharing with you the things that the Lord has impressed upon me this week in a variety of settings. So you'll see up on the screen, there's my Robert Murray Machine Reading Guide. So I'll talk about that. I'll talk about Sunday school, talk about Sunday service, and perhaps a few conversations that I've had this week. But what I want to emphasize to start off with is, again, the purpose is to get us comfortable again or point out that we should be comfortable again to be able to share what's truly happening with us spiritually, with our faith. Where are we at? What are we struggling with? What are we having victory over? Okay. Um, and be able to do so in a very natural way without any embarrassment. So I hope this is a is some of some help. First off, Sunday morning service. Pastor uh, Stewart of First Press did a remarkable job preaching. Uh, John's Gospel, chapter one, in the first oh, I'd say about twelve verses or so. And he starts off his sermon by talking about the confusion of this world and how we are misidentifying ourselves in so many ways, identifying ourselves with temporal things, things that have nothing to do with God, and that our only true identity can be found in Jesus Christ, because it's He alone who is the most satisfying, the one who can only satisfy the very need of our souls. So he speaks about the confusion, misidentity, and all the ways that you could think of, idolatry, just the snares and traps of this world that leads to such confusion. But we can find peace and refuge in the person of Jesus Christ. He speaks about all that Christ has accomplished on our behalf. Yes, so that we would have assurance. He speaks about the Holy Trinity, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Before creation, before creation, and Pastor Stewart, believe it or not, in a very straightforward way, proves the existence of God. Let me say it again. In a very straightforward way, Pastor Stewart proves the very existence of God. How it would be irrational to not believe in God. And then he gives a wonderful gospel call. When I arrived to church, I, my wife and I, I thought I left early enough, but I was a few minutes late. And when I say a few, I mean a few, two or three minutes. And the sanctuary was packed. If I had to guess, first press sanctuary, maybe it's a thousand people, but it looks like fifteen hundred to me, maybe two thousand. Okay, and it was packed. It was sardine cans. I mean, it was just like packed in like sardines. And so the one of the deacons just asked, hey, would you mind just going to overflow today? Because it's just, we're just, you can see what's going on. I said, sure. So we went over to overflow and there were a few of us um, never had gone to overflow before. And it was, it was very nice. And I was concerned about whether or not, you know, would it be like watching the sermon on at home, you know? And, and it wasn't. So even though I was watching the screen, but I was with other First Pres members, and 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 so the, the singing was just as lively, and the prayer, and it, it just... So even though 
of course, I wanted to be within the sanctuary, but I found the overflow to be a very sweet time. And it gave us a chance to meet some new people. And I was blessed by that, uh, particularly um, a, a retired pastor. And so he and I uh, talked about, uh, of course, we talked about Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones because he loves Lloyd-Jones. But he was able to tell me about his ministry and and uh, 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 his uh, what he's reading today and what he's doing in Sunday school classes that he attends and teaches and things of that nature. And so just having, because we had probably about 20 minutes before we Sunday school class began. So we had a good 10 or 15 minute conversation. It was just really like sweet. It was just what I needed, you know, for my soul. I was just, I was just blessed to meet this man. And then we went to Sunday school class and the, and at first pres there's, um, I don't think it'd be an exaggeration to say there's like 20 different Sunday school classes. And so, some are small, some are large, some are more traditional Sunday school classes where there is interaction between the Sunday school teacher, who may be an elder or pastor or, or a member of the church that's been approved to teach. Um, so much more interaction. And then there's other Sunday school classes that are a little bit more like a lecture. And then there's some Sunday school classes where you go to and it feels more like a sermon. Um, so there's a whole variety there with the whole uh, uh, topics um, to um, uh, not just, uh, you know, uh, like, like apologetics as an example could be a topic. Um, so yeah, and, and we're studying the book of James in our Sunday school class. And it was an amazing teaching about our tongue, our poisonous tongue. And there wasn't a lot of interaction in this Sunday school class this time. There, there didn't need to be. But it was a sobering teaching done very well by the elder. It was very humbling. And, you know, when you think about just how careless we are with our tongues, how we emotionally overreact or hurt people or murder people with our tongues makes me think of the, um, I think it's John Owen. They made a pamphlet of Respectable Sins by Banner of Truth. I think that's where you can find it, Respectable Sins. And I think it's a Puritan, John Owen's work. And just, how we've gotten so accustomed, so careless with our tongues. Maybe think of the scripture that you and I are going to give an account for everything that we said and how that should just cause us to flee to Christ for he alone is our righteousness. Yes, very humbling message. And then for my Bible reading, I did pretty well. I had a good rhythm. Um, but I will say it is difficult for me because I, I travel two days out of the week and so it's hard for me to read. And uh, like I travel on Mondays and Thursdays quite often. And then on Tuesday, Wednesdays, I'm all caught up into work. I'm so focused at work and my mind just gets so engaged that I don't read my Bible as well as I should Monday through Thursday. I, I, I did read some, but when I got back home on Friday, I was behind. So I had to make a, make a choice. Do I just skip those days? Because that's what Robert Murray Machine says. Come on now, don't don't make this mechanical. Don't make this task oriented. But I decided to go back and reread the chapters. Now here's the challenge, though, when you have to catch up for multiple days. Because every day is, let's say, I'm behind, you know, eight chapters. 
And then you got to read those days chapters that so that now we're up to 12. Now the question is, is am I really meditating on the verses? Do you see the problem? Or am I just trying to get through it? Okay. So yeah, so that's why I really want to find a healthy rhythm. So I'm not getting through it, that I'm able to absorb it. Now, some people could read 12 chapters and meditate on every single verse because you have that kind of mind, okay? I don't. So for me, it's much more beneficial where I can read four chapters a day over seven days, okay? And then I can read other things. That's, that's a nice rhythm for my mind. That's a nice rhythm to feed my soul, okay? Now, what did I find in my, in my reading? Well, there is something I want to share with you right away. Deuteronomy chapter 9 through 13. I ended up, just by God's providence, reading those chapters this week, as well as following the Robert Murray Machine Reading Guide. And what it, what it really struck me with those, those chapters is the nature of mankind, and especially the stark contrast to God's nature and his precepts and his ways and his thinking, God's priorities. Yeah, like if somebody would say, hey, John, I want to learn a lot about God. I, I, would, I would spend some time in Deuteronomy 9 to 13. Um, also, too, is it really also shows God's way of salvation and why he alone is the one who had to act to bring about salvation, that mankind without God is unable to save itself, is my point. And you also see warnings, snares, traps, how easy it is that we forget God, mm -hmm. and God's promises, yes. There's just a lot in Deuteronomy 9 to 13 that I want to share with you. And then regarding the, the for, for, as far as the Robert Murray Machine Reading Guide, oh my goodness, as far as the chapters that I read today, you know, are read this week from what, um, you have Genesis, uh, Ezra, Nehemiah, um, Matthew, as well as um, Acts. And what you see is this constant opposition to God in his works. So it really is amazing, quite divine, you might say, how you see that thread, okay, of this constant opposition to God. There's also this emphasis, like when you read an epistle and you go, well, where did Paul get this doctrine, you know, particular doctrine, like justification by faith? And then you go back to Acts and you see in Acts, um, the doctrine of justification by faith actually being preached. And then you go back to the Gospels and you see Jesus teaching justification by faith, showing and demonstrating justification by faith, right? Who can be saved? Well, with man, you know, it's not possible, but nothing is impossible for God, you know. So it really is like if you say, hey, John, why, is a, why should I read my Bible like following a reading guy like Robert Murray Machine? Well, it gives you great confidence. It gives you great confidence to see the doctrine taught, to see the doctrine preached, and to see our Lord speak on that doctrine and show and validate and prove it 
right? So in other words, his miracles, his feats, the things that he's accomplished, they make it quite clear, particularly, of course, his resurrection and ascension, tells us why we should trust these doctrines. Because the Lord gives us lots of warnings, including going back to Deuteronomy 9 to 13, but also you see it in Acts. And you, you'll, you'll, again, you'll see this opposition where people are trying to lead you astray. But by having God's word and feeding on it on a regular basis, not mechanically, not based on performance, but just seeing the need of our souls, like what works for me? Well, four chapters a day, that's good. And then along with my other reading, some people may go, oh, I, 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 can, I can feed 12 chapters and I can meditate on it. I can go fast, right? And, um, and, and then others might be uh, two chapters a day. But what's important is that we're feeding our souls so that we're seeing these things. Because uh, we have a lot in common with the people of the Old Testament and the New Testament. I mean, it's a little bit easier for us to, to picture ourselves, you know, walking and living in the times of Acts, maybe more so than Ezra, right? But the more you read your Bible, you're going to find, wow, I've got a lot in common with these people. And you do. You and I do. It also reminded me that Apostle Paul's conversion is the best example of what genuine repentance and faith looks like in the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's that at a personal level. Like, I want, what does it look like to become a Christian? Well, Apostle Paul's conversion is a wonderful example of that. Okay. Um, but also, too, it also shows. I start off by saying, wow, there's so much of God's opposition, so much opposition to God. And it really makes the Bible very sobering, very sad, very heartbreaking at times is what I'm trying to say. But then you see God's victory. Like, like what, is, what is Paul when he saw, what does he want to do? I want to lock these people up. I want to persecute these people. Oh, surely it led to people's death. And uh, I want to bring an end to this gospel message. We need to stop talking about Jesus, you know. And so there's constant opposition. And then what do you see? God being victorious. You know, you know hey, hey, what, what's going on in Jerusalem? Those, those Jewish people, they're building that wall. We got to bring an end to this work. What do you mean they're building the temple again? We got to bring an end to this, Right? There's this constant opposition. And then you see it within Acts. Hey, what are, what's Peter and John doing out there? They were, in the, they were in the cage last night. They shouldn't be out here. Didn't we tell them to stop preaching Jesus? And see, that's the other thing too. I think this is really important, especially if you're an unbeliever. But when Jesus is crucified, okay, you don't see the church going, well, we've lost Jesus, but we have James now. So we preach James. Okay? So Jesus was our founder, and he was good. But James, maybe second best, maybe he's just as good, maybe he's even a little bit better. Now we preach James. Okay? Or we're preaching ourselves. We preach ourselves, right? What Paul and Barnabas going around preaching themselves. No. No. No, not at all. No, no. They preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. So when you read the gospel, because there's many examples of the gospel being preached, 
this Jesus who was crucified, for the forgiveness of sin and eternal life, this gospel, you can read it in Acts and just how straightforward it is, and they're not embarrassed because they have they have the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, and power. God is with them. And again, you can see this entire theme of people trying to do things in the Old Testament and the New Testament without God in their own strength. And God's saying, yeah, we're not doing that. I'm not sharing my glory with you. I'm not doing it, people. That's what the Lord is saying to us. Okay? And you're trying to do things that you're not capable of doing. So, and they even, in, in, in one of the gospel messages in Acts, as I recall, it's being preached that Jesus Christ came in spirit and power, spirit and power to be able to do the things that he did to prove that indeed he is the son of God and why we should listen to him. So now you can understand why, like if you go back to, and I may post this sermon, but you go back to First Pres last Sunday, let me just look at the date real quick. This is how important it. Please forgive me here, but let me just look at the date real quick so I get it right. Um, so today's the 14th of January, so it'd be January 7th. Go back to First Press, and you'll hear Pastor Stewart preaching in spirit and power. And he even says in his prayer, Lord, let me, in essence, let me vanish away and make Christ increase. May Christ increase. May the people see your son, Lord. And Pastor Stewart's the second pastor that I've heard, one in Maryland and now here at First Press, that makes that point. Like, like Pastor Stewart has done it in every sermon, and the Maryland pastor definitely did it every sermon. Lord, let me decrease and let you, and may your son increase. So they may you increase so your people can hear your word. Whether they want power, spirit, God's truth, God's precepts, God's ways. So that people are stirred up because of this opposition who's trying to have our hearts cold against the Lord. Cold against the Lord. We don't want that. But lively preaching, divine preaching, not nothing of the flesh, all heavenly. So I think it's wonderful. And then also, too, is what do you see within the church? They're living their life, and this is the way that I would I would describe it. It goes back to Reverend Daniel Rowland, the famous Welsh Calvinistic Methodist preacher. Again, they said of him, like Hal, Hal Harris said, he's the second Apostle Paul. And in a sermon, I think it's Sermon 2. We only have eight of the sermons. I think it's Sermon 2, and it's Grace, titled Grace. Grace indeed, maybe. And he makes the point that the safest way for a Christian to live is between fear and hope. Okay, And you see the early church doing this, living between fear and hope. And fear, Daniel Rowland says, is the line, it's the cable, it's a tether that is anchored to hope. And hope indeed is the anchor. So now, how does, how does Daniel Rowland expound on this? He, he points out fear is beneficial in the sense of understanding of who we are and who God is. Keeps us humble. 
right? Remember going back to James, the teaching from the Sunday school class about our tongues? Why do we get so careless with our tongues? Because we get arrogant, boastful, censoriousness. We act like a Pharisee. Shame on us. Shame on us. But if we have the right fear, a sense of godly fear, that we're not like God and that God is good and holy and righteous and we're not. So fear keeps us humble, a godly fear, knowing that God is good, okay? And then it's tethered to hope. And the hope we find is in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our righteousness. All of our sins have been cast away. They've been dealt with, right? So when when I die, when it comes to my time and you know, my final day, my final hours, my final minutes. I'm going off to, into eternity holding on to a promise, a hope, a claim that I'm in Christ and that Jesus Christ indeed, when I open my eyes, I will be in his kingdom with him for all of eternity. He made a promise to me. But our Savior doesn't break promises. And if you're in Christ, he made that promise to you. And that's what we're going to hold on to. Fear and hope, but a godly fear. Not fearful of man, but fearful of God. Adoration, recognition of who he is and who we are. Yes, sense of tremble, a sense of awe. And then have absolute hope and confidence in God. And you'll see that again in the Old Testament and the New Testament. God is screaming out, you need to trust in me. And again, I would state Deuteronomy chapter 9 to 13, I think is very beneficial as well to read, to drive that same point. It is interesting too, when you look at, like when, when the apostles are warning the magician who's, you know, wants to buy God's power with money. And he, and he says, the apostles say to him, I think it's Peter who says to him, you know, um, you know, shame on you thinking that you can purchase salvation because you have a, a, a gel of bitterness, a gel of bitterness and a bond of, of um, you know, you're just, you're, you're bond to, uh, to, um, to corruption. It's not the exact same word, but it's, but yeah, a gel of bitterness and, and bond to, to corruption, to sin, to filth. And that's really the world that we belong to, isn't it? I'm not, I'm not trying to take it out of context. But I think if we stop and honest before Christ in the world in which we live in right now, there's a lot of bitterness and a lot of filth. And it's wonderful that the, the apostles say to him, now, now you repent. You repent. You seek after God. So it's wonderful that the apostles didn't say to this magician who had, you know, just an impure heart, you know, wanted to make a name for himself. He didn't say to him, you know, you're beyond all hope. <laughs> no salvation for you. No salvation for you. You're like with the devil and his cohorts. No, no, no. As, as bad as that sin was. I'm just speaking in human terms, speaking candidly. candidly. 
he still had hope. Hey, repent. Ask God for mercy. Right? Now, this is what I want to go back to. You might say, well, John, hey, this whole fear and hope thing and asking God for mercy, can you give me a scriptural reference that backs up Daniel Rowland's sermon? Well, I can. Psalms 1, chapter 147, verse 11. But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him and those who hope in his steadfast love or his steadfast mercy. Okay? That's how we want to approach. But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, right? Because that's that's the mistake, that this, this person was not regenerate, the magician who wanted to buy power from God, you know. It was not regenerate. Therefore, he didn't have fear. Didn't have fear. You see a, a godly fear with the thief on the cross who says to his, his partner, hey, hey, we're guilty. But this Jesus has done nothing wrong. Don't you have any fear? Jesus, won't you remember me? You know? So, but yes, scriptural reference, there's others, but Psalms 147.11, I think that is a verse that's worth underlining or highlighting if you do that in your Bible. It's definitely one to commit to memory. But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him and those who hope in his steadfast love. So we want to walk between fear and hope. So, and then um, there's also two there's a warning or a message. You don't want to find yourself unworthy of eternal life. Are you unworthy of eternal life? That was in Acts as well. And it brought to my attention, I remember one time where the Lord impressed upon me to pray for people who might even attend church, they orbit around church, they might be a pastor, they might be an elder, they might be a deacon, there might be a wife of a pastor, elder, or deacon. There, there might be just somebody who just comes all the time or maybe comes infrequently. And they never come to Christ. And you know why? Because they don't think they're worthy. They, they have decided that they are unworthy of eternal life. I've done a few messages on this before. And I prayed for such a person without knowing who the person is because the Lord impressed it upon me. I can't even remember how it came about. And then about a year later, I was at a Thursday men's uh, Thursday morning men's study. And a, a gentleman joined the study. And he said, I've been battling with the Lord for the last year because I've always believed I was unworthy of salvation. And as the brother told his testimony, I told him, I said, this is going to sound strange. But about a year ago, could have been 10 months, could have been 14 months. I don't keep track of time that way. But the Lord impressed upon me to pray for, I got this impression, to pray. it's like I'm praying for a single person, but I, I always open it up you know, to, to, to all those who suffer with this. But, but it was as if I was praying for a single person, but I didn't know the person's name, that this person would come to faith in Christ and would see that it's, um, we'll see, a whole, see the snares and traps that, that Satan would not win. And that they would see that all of us are unworthy. We're all beggars coming to the cross. There's much more I could say about it, but I, I, I'm already at the 30-minute mark, so I, I don't want to go on much for longer. But, but, but I, I want to share that with you just in case somebody's listening to the sound of my voice going, John, that's me. I'm unworthy of eternal salvation. 
of what God is offering. I'm not fit for heaven. Well, you're not fit for heaven today, but you're not unworthy. So again, to do what is right, you have to know what is true. So what's true? God is saving unworthy people throughout the entire Bible. Listen to me. I think the biggest mistake people make who think they're unworthy of salvation is they keep listening to themselves. So I'm saying stop listening to yourself and start speaking to yourself truth. Okay? So, for example, you're better off listening to me right now than listening to yourself because I'm speaking truth. And the truth is, the Bible is full of vile sinners who have no right to be saved, and God saves them. It's just a fact. There's a ton of people who are screaming, crucify him. The Jerusalem sinners is, is Bunyan's, one of Bunyan's wonderful works. And God saved them. Do you see how amazing God is? And God can save you. So end your fight. I, I, again, I can't go into, or I don't want to assume anything, but that's that's how I would, I would have you at least approach it. Study your Bible. See who people are saving. And come to realize that we're all unworthy and your sins are not special. There may be many, but they're not special. You're not the first person to commit such sins. But salvation is right here in Christ. Give up your pride. You can't save yourself. Whatever it is that is keeping you, are you afraid of crying over your sins? Is that what you're afraid of? Afraid of coming across as weak? What is it? I don't, you know, only you can answer that. But what I can tell you is Christ is ready to forgive. So seek him today. Well, those are some of the things that I thought about this week. Now, what is my prayer life like? Well, it's not very good. How, how, do, how, does we, how do we have a link between heaven and earth today? How do we have a link between heaven and earth? And the answer is prayer prayer so I'm distracted too much I'm task oriented too much I've got certain things to accomplish as an American businessman you know so performance centric in order to satisfy customers and owners and employees and things of that nature and it wears me down and it makes my prayers cold and short and trite so I'm not going to stay that way. I, I've had this happen many times in my life. It ebbs and flows, and the Lord's always been very kind and gracious to me. But by reading his word and meditating on the scriptures, I know God is doing a work within me that will bring back a vibrant prayer life so that I could be in even closer to Christ in the future than what I am today. So I want to really emphasize this great need of personal prayer, prayer groups, and that 
one of the reasons I think we don't pray again, just like we don't have good spiritual conversations, I don't think we do. Maybe it's just me, but I'm old enough and read enough books and listened enough. But I think we're trying to, we're nervous about it. It makes us feel uncomfortable. And we need to get comfortable again, having good spiritual conversations and get comfortable again in praying to our Lord is what I'm trying to say. Well, I'm going to, I'm at the 36 minute mark, so I'm going to stop here. Until next week, grace upon grace be with you all.